Hey, it's Yona Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best. So I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. You know, addiction is a demon that many will struggle with within their lives, and getting clean is rarely easy. That's something one of my guests, Hunter Shepard, knows all too well. He will let us know how dark it can be sometimes, but how perseverance and support can be the helping hand much needed on the road to sobriety. We also will talk with a family who chose to stand up in the face of discrimination and won a ruling in their favor by the Human Rights Tribunal. Many might be vindictive, but this family just wants to make sure this type of discrimination never happens again and share their story with us. So sit back and relax. Get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. Was a freezing cold couple of days, man. Seems to be meddling out my buddies across the country telling me the weather is getting a little bit better out where they are. And uh, our folks, uh, my partner here, Leo, uh, he's in BC and he's telling me the rain's going to come. It's just not there yet. And uh, so far, so good. But everybody's crying for us across Canada in terms of uh, the freezing cold temperatures. But it's Canada, right? That's what we do. Lace up our skates, get nice and warm and go out and play in the snow or on the ice. Ah, me, not so much. Used to when I was younger, not so much now. I don't know. I just can't seem to be bothered bending over to do up my laces. Actually, to tell you the truth, I got a pair of skates, and when I bought my skates, I decided to get the straps that little kids get, but not just for little kids. They have them for adults. So now I got four Velcro straps that hold my skates together instead of laces, and it is a dream come true, making my life a little bit easier and taking the anxiety away from getting dressed to go play on the ice in the snow. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about anxiety. We talk a lot about people's fears. We talk a lot about concerns that people have over things in the future. And, you know, and we talk, you know, when I'm talking to patients or clients, depending on what I'm doing, whether I'm uh, working as a, you know, as a uh, uh, performance coach, I forgot the name for a sec, performance coach or as a counselor, you know, like it's, it's tell everybody the same kind of thing all the time. You know, anxiety is usually rooted in something you fear into the future uh, about something in the future. And, you know, it's usually not predicated on anything real, right? I mean, I shouldn't say it's not real. I don't want to diminish anybody's thoughts and, and, and concerns for the things that they find important that cause them to feel a little panicky or a little worried or a little anxious, so to speak. So, you know, I don't want to take that away from anybody, but it's usually rooted in something that hasn't really happened yet, right? So, the story I want to share with you tonight, uh, it's really a story about anxiety because of the fear of something that's real. And I'm talking about the uh, transit system in Toronto, in the metropolitan Toronto area here in Ontario. Um, a lot of violence, a lot of, lot of uh, just nonsense and and just no no sensible understanding of why people are committing these acts of violence, stabbings, people being pushed in front of the trains, being pushed off platforms, uh, being sprayed in the face with different things. One woman was set on fire on a streetcar in downtown Toronto uh, with lighter fluid, like, you know, uh, uh, people using uh, machetes and knives. And it's not a gun violence thing. It doesn't appear to be, at least so far, but it's a violence thing. And it makes it really uncomfortable for a lot of people to take the TTC. My middle son is a chef, and he uh, lives in downtown Toronto and uh, takes a TTC. He chooses not to drive. Uh, he takes TTC and the odd-time Uber. And uh, I've set up for him uh, recently, and with obviously with his permission, uh, we set up a, a taxi account that uh, goes onto my credit card. He's a hard-working guy. He doesn't have a lot of extra money. Uh, but uh, I set up a, a credit card account for him with a, a local taxi service so he doesn't have to take the TTC. And as I explained to him the other day, I said, you know what, son, it's not because I don't trust you. It's because I don't trust everyone else. And it's not really about you. It's about me. So I can sleep at night. Your mom and I feel better if you're in a cab or in an Uber or something. So uh, that's what we're doing to try to get over the anxiety that I have of uh, about my my own child, my own kid, my own son. Uh, he's not anything but a child. He's a man. Uh, you know, riding the subway, not because he doesn't have good choice, make good choices, and doesn't have the sensibilities and, and the street sense to to know what to look for, but. You know, when someone is not in their right mind, and that's where we're going with this conversation here for the next few minutes, someone's not in that yet. Yeah, listen here closely. Come on, l listen in, put everything else away. Put your book down for a minute. Please just pay attention to me. There you go. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jennifer, Bob and Sarah. Nice to see you. 
Derek and his family. How are you? Hope you're listening in. Hope the kids are asleep. They should be. They're too young. Uh, listen to me being judgy. Just want to say hi to everyone. Just check in with me here, right? Just pay attention with me. It's, it's, does, does TTC or, or transit or public places cause you any, exi any anxiety? You know, give me a text message here at 877-399-9898. We'll share with it late. We'll share later. We're going to come back to this story again later in the show as well in this, this topic. Uh, 877-399-9898. Tell me what you think throughout the evening about the things that cause you anxiety. The, and, and, and when you're talking about the word anxiety, creating anxiety, anxiety seems to be the word for violent these days, according to this article written by uh, Heather Malik. She's with the stars. She's an excellent writer in my opinion. Um, so the concerns are not so much that they're not gang related, you know, acts like we see some in, in, in the streets of many of the cities uh, in, in Canada. Uh, they're not acts of, of uh, violence against, you know, uh, an oppressive employer. Uh, you know, uh, an, you know, there are horrible acts of violence against uh, domestic partners. Uh, this is just people not being in their right mind, not being, in the good place, certainly not being at their best, acting out on strangers, acting out on people they don't even know in public places like the TTC, like the Toronto Transit System. And what's really scary is we used to talk about this for years and years. <clears throat> you know, that only happens in New York, right? It's the New York subway system that everyone worries about, not so much in Toronto. Um, I tell you, I feel a lot more comfortable on a, on a train on my way in from Jersey to Manhattan than I do driving a flight, you know, taking a, 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 a subway here from Finch station down to union station in Toronto, because we're not doing a good job of managing the people that are wandering the streets that aren't quote unquote in their right minds at the time, meaning that they don't have their stuff together. They're in a bad place. A lot of angry people these days, my friend, if you don't know it, a lot of angry people, a lot of people pissed off about, I think I can say that, Leo hasn't bleeped me yet. A lot of people are really not in a good place when it comes to their finances, their employment, uh, the way we've been treating their kids, the cost of, of, of a mortgage or financing of any kind these days, people losing their houses left, right, and center as that bubble breaks from that inexpensive financing to expensive financing. Now you're kind of stuck. These are, you know, these are, these are people who are snapping for one reason or another, snapping in their minds. They're losing control, a little delusional, perhaps very angry, very resentful. And they act out, you know, someone looks like someone, you know, pushing somebody in front of a train, stabbing somebody on a bus, lighting them on fire with lighter fluid. Like, first of all, who even thinks like that? Well, people that aren't well think like that. And putting, you know, they're talking about putting, what are they talking about? Putting uh, uh, experts on the subway and perhaps putting mental health professionals, you know, paramedics, as long as they're big and they got handcuffs. Come on. Like the problem isn't, you know, we have to protect people on the transit system. That should be our job anyway. It should be the job of the Toronto Transit Commission and anyone who works with them. Uh, that should be their job is, is keep us protected regardless of what's going on in the world. But right now, when people are really not in a good place, a lot of people not in a good place, acting out at home, acting out in the office, acting out on their own, you know, making perhaps not great decisions about their own um, choices as it relates to how they take care of their own lives and, and be successful or, or manage in their own lives. But it's not a question of putting a mental health professional on the, on the, on the transit system. It's a question of be, doing a better job of helping people before they get on the train, before they walk into the subway system. That means providing for better mental health care, better crisis care, better support for the homeless, and all that kind of stuff. You know, sure, we talk about people who are drugged out. Most people that commit crimes of violence because, and they're drugged out are doing it to get money. There's no money involved here. Very rarely does someone overdose or, 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 on a, in, in, or who's in a, in a, uh, on a drug bender, if you will, act out in a kind of in an act of violence unless they're delusional or paranoid or, or have a, a schizophrenic personality. There's all kinds of reasons, but it's tip, not typical. It's just a, you know, got to just deal with people, give them alternatives. And, you know, nowadays a lot of homeless people riding the subways to keep warm. So, you know, it, it's a systemic problem. It's not just a TTC problem, but not everyone succumbs to this, right? When we come back from break here, we're going to be joined by my guest. His name is Hunter Shepard. I'll give you the backstory when we come back. Um, he's someone who overcame a difficult place, difficult position in life, and uh, now five years later is uh, doing really well. He's going to come share his story with us. I was really taken by his Facebook posting, which is why he's on the show with us uh, tonight. 
you know, I was reading, I was just, I don't know, doing some Facebook stuff. I don't do a lot of it. And I came across a, a posting about three days ago. I don't know how many days ago, maybe longer. Uh, this was around the 24th or 25th of January. Anyway, um, so I'm looking at the post and it says like this. Five years ago today, I made the near fatal choice to relapse after five months of sobriety. I was fresh out of rehab and it was the longest period I've ever had completely sober. Unfortunately, relapse is part of my story. Every time it happened, I always had an excuse. My girlfriend let me. I was fighting with my wife, my family. I lost my dream job, you know, something like that. I could have used any negative uh, event as an excuse. Now I know what it was. Relapse happens in the absence of recovery. Today, my life is full of blessings and sobriety. I'm living the promises in 21 days. I'll have five years of freedom and uh, from active addiction new freedom and happiness, peace and life beyond my wildest dreams. His name is Hunter Shepard. We're going to, he's going to join us here in just a minute. He's standing by. I'm looking at a picture. I'm going to describe the picture. It's very creative. It's a picture of Hunter today. Uh, and it's split down the middle between his, you know, like down the center of his nose. So one side, you know, one side, one way, one side, like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of picture. Uh, the, the one side is the clean and happy and fulfilled Hunter. And the other side is filled with sores. His eyes look dark. His lips are dry. His skin looks horrible. Uh, that's the uh, actively addicted hunter. The picture speaks a thousand words. The man on the left was suffering from physical and mental consequences of 10, 10 years of drug addiction. He was hopeless. This is part of his sight. He was homeless. He was broken. He was living a life that was direct result of a decade of self-destruction. He wasn't a good friend, son, or father. He had a problem and thought he found the solution through the drug through drugs he was using. The man on the right is free. He's hopeful. That's the good picture we talked about. He is full of life, love, and happiness. He has an incredible career and works hard to build a future for his family. He's a good father, son, and friend. The man is sober. He's found a spiritual solution that no chemical solution could ever compare to. He lives a life beyond his wildest dreams. They have something in common. They're both me, he says, out of out of desperation to find freedom from addiction. I began an incredible journey through recovery. Out of my pain and suffering, I found something beautiful. I found myself. And uh, Hunter Shepard, I found you. Thank you for joining us this evening, man. I really, uh, really appreciate you being a part of this tonight. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you know, um, I got to tell you, so I got, I got lots, to, lots to talk about. I'm, I'm sure you've done a little bit of a deep dive. I, I, I deal with people in active addiction and have mental health issues. That's my, my day job uh, in terms of rehab and, and outpatient, inpatient, virtual care, all that kind of stuff. For many years did uh, recoveries out of the, the, the backs of you know uh, Tim Hortons and parks and all kinds of places. I'm sure you've been there. Um, and, yep. and, and, and when I get a story like this, brother, it just, these make me cry just a little bit and it keeps me going. It's listening to somebody like you who we're going to talk to here, talk about how they went from a really dark place uh, to find some sunlight, to find some, some sunshine. And I'm sure you still have, like I have my own mental health issues as well. Um, you know, all of us that have mental health issues, you know, have really good days. We have some days, maybe not so good, but as long as we're making the right choices, we stay on this planet and we get to fight for another day. Um, what an incredible story. And, uh, I guess Thank we're you. not that, I, have we made your, have we made the five years? Is enough days gone by now? Uh, February 21st will oh, be amazing. five years. Amazing. Um, <clears throat> so when you think about it, you kind of shake your, what do you, what do you think? I'm not going to put words in your mouth when you, when you, that's your job. What, when you think about it, you look back and you're getting close to a, you know, to a five, you know, your five mirror medallion, uh, you know, and I'm sure many, many hundreds of stories and thousands of hours shared with others. What do you see when you look at yourself in the mirror today? Well, <clears throat> I definitely don't see, uh, who I used to be in that, that picture that you were describing, you know, um, you know, I, uh, I'm just unbelievably blessed and healthy and clear. And, uh, you know, I'm really just super grateful for all of that. Yeah. You may, but, but it, you know, just to give everybody a, a real understanding of how difficult it is. And by the way, I've been doing this kind of work for over 40 years and I think I'm very close to 4,000 patients and their families. Uh, I got to tell you, and I'm sure you know, Hunter is an advocate and as an ex addict or as a, as a non active addict and a founder of Hunter versus addiction. We'll get to that later. You're kind of in this world. Yeah. You realize that you are so uh, out of the norm in terms of you're one out of, 10, one out of 20, I don't know, something like that in terms of people that actually make it 
uh, even after several years of recovery, uh, being able to stick around and make it go as long as you have. Uh, so when you look in the mirror, hopefully you see someone who's a champion um, and uh, who now has the ability to save lives of others. Uh, definitely not the guy in the picture, but um, you know, just, do, do, do you see yourself, you know, sometimes I look in the mirror and I see myself very differently than other people. And I, and not, not that I feel like I'm a fraud, but sometimes I feel like I'm just not being truthful or honest with myself. And, and you know, it's, I get in my own head about it. It's probably part of my OCD and my anxiety disorder, but do you ever sort of look at yourself and kind of fear for when old Hunter might come back? Or is that just not a fair question? Well, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're our biggest uh, critiques, you know, everybody uh, has those moments where they, you know, have self-doubt and fear. Um, but you know what? The, those uncomfortable feelings that, that I feel about myself, uh, just like with the mental health issues, uh, at this point in my sobriety, I realize that, you know, I can overcome that, that stuff. Uh, I overcome my, my addiction. And uh, just as long as I stay sober, I can overcome all, all of that. You know, the uncomfortable feelings and mental health and, and you know, the, the times when I doubt myself, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You know, I, people say to me all the time, so do you work with addicts or you work with people with mental health? I said both because I've never yeah. treated anyone that has an active addiction or so, active addiction of any kind or self-medicates in any way that didn't have underlying mental health issues, at least the basics, you know, anxiety, low self-esteem, depression, that kind of stuff, uh, off, usually some trauma mixed in. Um, so you started at a young age, eh? You, start, you must have started, you look like a young guy. So you, how old were you when you first sort of started to self-medicate? Because I guess that's what it was, or were you really just like every other kid just trying to get high? Yeah, you, you know what it was? Uh, so I'm from a really uh, small town in, uh, in Ohio, right on the border of West Virginia. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar, but uh, West Virginia is the number one uh, opiate overdose place in the United States. So I grew up right in the epicenter of that. So it's somewhat part of the culture for people to get high anyway. Um, but at 12 years old, so I grew up in a town of about 1,500 people. Um, I was, uh, from about 12 years old on, I was very angry. Um, so they, and I started to suffer from depression and anxiety and, and ADD. At least that's what I was diagnosed with. I was medicated. Uh, you know, I was overweight, didn't like who I was, uh, didn't like how I looked. Um, and I was, I felt different. So, you know, a mixture of the, the, Adderall and whatever else they prescribe yeah. me to, yeah. um, you know, along with feeling secluded, I started to use uh, marijuana and alcohol to fit in. So the mental health issues, the Adderall and, you know, marijuana and alcohol all mixed together, um, you know, that's just not a good mixture. Um, and that, that's kind of where it started, you know. I almost died alone in a hotel room in West Virginia. My 10-year-long crippling drug addiction had finally caught up to me. A decade of abusing my mind and body came to an abrupt end. It was a turning point in my life. The pain that I was experiencing had became greater than my fear to change, and I surrendered and asked for help. There you have it. That's uh, my guest this evening, Hunter Shepard, um, joining us tonight to talk about his uh, remarkable recovery and uh, his fight to stay on that path. Hunter, thanks again for being part of it. Uh, you know, brother, um, what what was the turning, you know, what was your aha moment? You know, I talk with my patients all the time and I had my own at, at one point. Uh, what was your aha moment? What was that, that time for you? I mean, for me, it was people around me dying, getting shot. And, you know, I, I was in a very violent situation and, you know, that kind of woke me up. But what, what was your aha moment? What was, what was the time where you said, you know, man, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm done. Yes. So um, what happened was, I, I had been, so things are, are significantly different within uh, treatment and rehab here, here in the United States. Yeah, um, I It's know. slightly more accessible. Um, I went to treatment six different times, some, uh, six different private facilities. Um, after the fifth facility, I actually got sober in the longest period um, that I had ever had, which was five months. And, and this was in California, and I, I ended up moving back home to West Virginia and I relapsed after, you know, five months of sobriety. Things picked up right where I left off, 
within a matter of three weeks, I lost 45 pounds. I wow. had sore, I had pick sores all over my whole entire body. Um, I slept maybe three days in three weeks. And uh, a girl actually poisoned the drugs that I was doing. And, uh, and I injected it and it put me into psychosis for three days. Um, didn't know who I was, didn't know where I was. My parents took care of me for three days. Uh, and when I came out of it, uh, I was withdrawing and the drugs that she had poisoned me with, uh, were in my body, just destroyed me. Uh, and it was extremely painful. And, uh, my dad took me to the airport to, to send me back to rehab. And I remember he said, uh, do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? Cause if you don't stop, that's the only choices you have left. And I woke up. Well, that's a, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a, of a, a wake up call. And, uh, thank, thankfully to your father, you, uh, you paid attention. Um, let, let's, uh, Leo, play the clip for, for the, the new clip now that we have in terms of what Hunter has to say about being clean and sober. Listen, listen to the new Hunter, uh, and what he has to say. One month ago today, I celebrated four years of freedom from active addiction. I'm no longer hopeless and the obsession to use drugs is gone. I am no longer afraid or ashamed and life today is beyond anything I ever dreamed of. If I found freedom, then I know you can too. Well, I'll tell you what, other than it's a great commercial for somebody, uh, for life, for sure. Um, you can hear it in your voice, bro. Like you can hear the difference between when you were talking about your recovery, you know, your, your active addiction period and how you feel about yourself today. Uh, I hope you can hear it because I can hear it. And I'm sure the tens of thousands of people that are listening can hear it as well. Um, again, just uh, kudos to you. And I know this is not about bolstering you up and it's really about helping others become their best. Uh, so you at that moment, you've been through rehab a bunch of times. Uh, was it the problem that was the problem that rehab didn't stick? Or was the problem that you went to rehab when you weren't ready for it? Like, did you go because well, everyone wanted you to, to, or did you go because you were at that place where you were going to do everything it took to get clean? Yes. Yeah, so for, for me, I mean, every single time that I went to treatment, it was because I actually wanted it and I was seeking it. Um, you know, I always, like people always say, you have to hit rock bottom before you can want help, you know, but really I, I hit rock bottom six different times, and each time it was worse. So, um, you know, I think what it was is I was willing to go to rehab in the moment of desperation and sickness. But then once I got sober, I started to want to control, you know, my own thinking always got me where I was. So as I would get sober, I would get confident, and I, and I would stop listening to other people's direction that actually knew how to stay sober. Um, and I didn't, I would lack a community. I would lack, you know, just any kind of support. And then I would just end up right back where I was every time. So what do you think the hardest part for you is, has been to stay clean and sober and, 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 and drug, a drug of choice, your DOC was what in particular, it's obviously washed down with alcohol, but what was your, was it a crack cocaine thing? Looking at your skin, that's what kind of tells me that. It was uh, it was heroin, meth, and fentanyl, and I would do some LSD in there as well. Just for just for giggles. Yeah, yeah LSD yeah, LSD yeah. doesn't really LSD doesn't fit the high you were chasing though, man. It's a, it seems like that's a real off kind of choice to make. Was that in hopes of getting healthy, or was that just one more thing to get high with? Um, well, before I introduced all the other, like the heroin and meth and, and stuff like that, I mean, I've used heroin on and off since I was uh, 16 years old, but, um, essentially the, the LSD, I mean, it was just my favorite high, you know, the, that, and, uh, I would use all kinds of other party drugs, uh, before my life got really dark. I mean, people say all the time, like, you know, my best day, uh, highs or my worst yeah, yeah, my best day high is my worst day sober is better than my best day high, but that's not true. Whenever I, you know, use LSD and ecstasy and all of that, like life, I could manage it somewhat. Um, yeah. So I, I just did it because I enjoyed it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I get that. I mean, and that's that's a great answer and a very honest answer. And, and you know, and, and I listen, I've worked with, you know, probably seven, eight hundred 
heroin addicts, certainly back in the day when heroin was real heroin. And they would tell me like, Yona, like, dude, yeah. like you got to understand it's just the best buzz ever. And then we get to, you know, the, the, the fact that you're, you know, you're trying to dull the pain and, and, and numb yourself. Uh, and that, that high goes away. And then they, t- they quickly tell you stories, right. As I'm sure you'll share yourself. It, you know, the story is after a while, there's just nothing that gets you high. It just gets you numb. Um, and you're chased the numb. You don't chase the high. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, well, at first it's always enjoyable until it's not. You know, exactly. that, that's the thing. I mean, if it wasn't enjoyable, we wouldn't even do it. You thought about uh, becoming an addiction counselor or a peer support worker or actually doing this uh, in some way for so a I, living, or, or are you actually doing that I, now? I, I actually do work uh, with – I work with facilities all over the world. Um, you know, so I do several companionships, several transport uh, real low-level interventions. Uh, I do business development, um, you know, stuff along those lines. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm in this every day. I, I probably talk to, like, 500 people a month from all over the world um, and help as many of them as I can. And what do you think is the key to your success today? Like, you know, today, February, what is it? February 4th, still here in Ontario. Um, not for much longer, but um, what what do you think is, what's the one thing, if you could pick the one thing that keeps you on the right side of this, what is it? Uh, consistency. You know, I just, I, what has worked has worked and I, I wouldn't change it for anything. And now, uh, even with my social media presence, that all comes down to consistency. You know, I started posting from like the first week I was sober and started documenting my journey and it's kind of held me accountable to it. And I just stayed consistent with it. Do you still see, do you still see a therapist? Um, I don't, but I, I have a really, really good sponsor that holds me accountable. So. And is this a 12-step program that helped? Like, Was it a 12-step program or a smart recovery program? What was, was there a specific type of program that helped you through this or just a combination yeah. of everything? you got about a minute left. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say 12 steps has been the, this thing that, you know, really uh, – the, the community as well. So, yeah, 12 steps. I'm talking to uh, I'm talking to uh, to Hunter. He is uh, uh, in his uh, in the throes of uh, his upcoming close here uh, end of February for his uh, fifth year being clean and sober. His name is Hunter Shepard. Uh, he's available online everywhere. You can see what he does, listen to what he does, listen to who he is. The guy is uh, someone that knows what's up. And uh, I thank you so much for being with us. And Hunter, you and I will connect uh, offline for sure uh, later on this week. I I want to talk some more. Uh, I really want to show you, share something with you that I caught. And now it's it's an older story, but I loved it. And I wanted to share it with you in terms of someone at their best. A police officer in Skokie, Illinois, caught a teen trespassing at a gym's basketball court. His response astonished the staff there. The operations manager at Export Fitness, uh, Pritchett28, uh, said he caught Vincent Gonzalez, 15 at the time of Chicago, sneaking into the facility three days in a row gave him verbal warnings on each occasion, even going so far as to explain the liability issue of having a minor in the gym without written permission from a parent or guardian. I felt for the kid, though, he says. I really did just want to, I, 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 he really did, excuse me, just want to play basketball. It was a policy enforcement issue more than anything, Pritchett told ABC News. I said, if you sneak in again, I'll have to call the cops. Have a listen to uh, what the cop had to say uh, to the news uh, as part of this story. After 23 years in that job, you kind of size up people pretty quickly. And I could tell he was, you seem like he was kind of a gentle type of kid. You get satisfaction out of helping people, especially considering our job's so negative. When you can do something that gives you some type of positive reinforcement, you know, we always look to do that. Well, there you go. So, you know, here's a guy that's, you know, went out of his way to try to do something good. Pritchard said he finally made the call, he made the call to the police on August 17th to come speak to him. Uh, to the kid from trespassing again, Skokie police officer Mario Valenti was the one who responded. Officer Valenti approached him with a stern, authoritative demeanor and said, hey, kid, you know, you can't be in here, right? Man, like grab your stuff and let's go, according to Pritchard, adding that the teen looked so startled 
with a face like, oh, oh, I've been caught. Once they arrived at the front desk, Valenti asked Gonzalez why he kept sneaking onto the court. The teen admitted that he just wanted to play basketball, but he could not afford a membership, Pritchett said. Valenti pulled out his personal debit card. This is the cop, Valenti, pulled out his personal debit card, looked at Pritchard and said, well, will 150 bucks get him in? Now, Pritchard being the person running the, the gym. Valente said Gonzalez seemed like he was a gentle type of kid. At 20, after 23 years on the job, he sized up people pretty quickly, according to Valente. I was just really stunned, honestly, and kind of astonished by the gesture that he made, Pritchard said. He could have just whacked him out, driven him home, or given him a basketball. But to see Valente just nonchalantly say, what can I do? It was amazing. Gonzalez said that he texted Valente to express his appreciation. I said, thank you. That meant a lot, he told the ABC7 Chicago news person. He admittedly took to the initiative of helping um, of the helping route. Instead of doing just his job and doing the right thing, he did the better thing. He went a step further, one more, just a step further. Pritchard received the go-ahead from Exports Human Resources Office to give Gonzalez a two-year all-inclusive membership, and the, the, the gym agreed to cover the remaining $718 balance for it. We told him he just needed to have his mother come in and sign the liability waiver before he could use the membership, Pritchard said, adding that she came in a couple of days later and met with him personally. Skokie Police Information Officer Eric Swaback told ABC that Valente was overwhelmed by the positive reaction he's received for his gesture. The reaction to this whole case and outpour of public sentiment has been great and really appreciated, according to Swaback. Positive stories and these kinds of things happen daily but they just don't get reported. We don't look for notoriety in our job. We just do it because that's our job. The Skokie Police Department and Exports said they are in the process of planning a program that would partially sponsor memberships for others in the community who do good deeds or public service. Through this whole thing, we accidentally created a platform for doing good. So why not help make it reach, it, help make it reach its full potential, according to Pritchard? You know, I had to share the story. I really had to share the story about somebody going one extra mile, doing a little bit more, you know, and I made some notes of my own and I'm remembering stories. And again, this is not for kudos or for appreciation or any real uh, acknowledgement for, for what it's worth. Uh, this is just reality. I can tell you stories where I've been in a Tim's. Someone didn't have enough money. It was more than my, my, my pleasure to help them with a, with a coffee and, and whatever they needed. I've been in situations, for example, I was at, a, I was at a, a convenience store not long ago. I was buying something. I was short 75 cents. I didn't have it. Um, I, wasn't, I didn't want to use my debit card for 75 cents. Lady behind me says, can I give it to you? And I said, that would be really nice. I gave her my, I asked for her business card. She wasn't in business. I asked for her number. She didn't want to give it to me. Um, so I give and I get, right? I was at a bookstore not long ago. There were a couple of kids in there. They were buying something. One kid was short a dollar and a little bit and his friend couldn't help him. And he wasn't sure he was going to take the book back. I said, dude, what's a book for? He says, it's an assignment at school. I said, okay, I'll give you the buck and change. And, um, and uh, they were happy to take it. I mean, I, maybe I looked a little creepy. Who knows? You got to be careful who you take things from these days. Um, you know, I was at, uh, where was I? I was a gas station maybe a month and a half ago and I was going in to pay for my gas and the, and the person behind me realized when they got in the door that they didn't have their wallet. And I've heard this story before a rabbi friend of mine had this happen to him in Israel. Uh, it's happened in the past where people have been behind me and they just can't find their wallet. They couldn't find their wallet. And you know, you look at the car, you look at them, you realize that, you know, this is clearly a real mistake and, you know, covered their gas, gave the guy my business card because he asked for it. And sure enough, I got an e-transfer within, you know, I think probably within the same day of the 63 bucks I, I, I was more than happy to give. You know, people do it for me and I do it for others. But when you're on the job and your job is to police people and to, and to, and to make sure that justice is served and you have the opportunity to make a decision between Doing your job, meaning, you know, be penal about your, your, your efforts, you know, being, make sure that this kid understands this is against the law. You're not supposed to do it. It's a bad thing to do. Or step up and go, hey, dude, like what happened? And the reason though, his mom couldn't afford to let him go anymore. He really enjoyed playing basketball. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And because good begets good, the club stepped up and did the right thing too. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about these kinds of stories. I find them remarkable. I find that in the world we live in, especially today, especially in 2023, when we're all trying to just get by, 
right? We're all just trying to get through to the next day, do the best we can, make ends meet, help our families survive, you know, feed our children, provide the best we can for, for those that we love and care about. And, and acts of kindness in a world of maybe a little more anger than we'd like, right? You're looking at me out there. I can see you're all looking at me through the radio. You're feeling me, right? As they say, you know, we live in a place where, dude, it could be so dark sometimes. And where you get the sunshine is through human interaction. You know, I, I did a decade in the prison systems as a chaplain, uh, as a volunteer chaplain for that matter. And uh, I was in the prison several days a week and uh, talking to uh, to prisoners, mostly uh, incarcerated males, uh, in a particular facility that provided uh, mental health and, uh, and, and treatment, uh, as well as incarceration, as well as they're serving their time. Uh, anyway, and, and we would talk about it all the time, about how to take this dark place and make it lighter. You know, how do you take a jail and turn it into a better place? Well, number one, in this particular facility, you follow up, you do your therapy, you take all the courses you can, you learn everything you can, but primarily learning how to give back. You know, the stories of giving back, the stories of my guest, you know, my friend Hunter from before, my new friend Hunter from before, the earlier segment that we did, who, you know, is now, you know, he's overcome his addiction and now giving back. We're talking to an Illinois police officer who could just as easily have dropped the kid off at home, written him up or done something, put him on, on notice and just moved on. Why does he have to care? Well, we have to care because when we stop caring, this no longer becomes a nice place to live. When we stop caring, you know what happens? We stop getting. I promise you, I've lived a long time so far. I hope to live a lot longer. But in the years I've lived, and I can tell you that when you do good, you get good. And often when you do bad, you get bad. It doesn't always line up. But you know what? When I let somebody in in front of me, if I'm driving somewhere or they want to get into a lane or they want to get into a parking spot or whatever, right? Just the other day, I was pulling into a place to get food. I use a, I use a, a disabled uh, pass, a handicapped pass, because I, I have issues walking because of my back and my legs. Some guy pulled into the spot ahead of me. I got out and said, dude, I was getting in that spot. He said, oh, man, I didn't see your, your, your signal. No problem. I'll let you in. And I said, no, you know what? That's okay. And as soon as he did that and I said it was okay, three other spots opened up. And that happens to me all the time. Do good, get good. Do bad, usually bad happens your way too. It's a karma thing, if you believe it. I just think it's the way the world needs to work. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about how to be that champion, extending ourselves a little bit, doing the one more, that one more that makes you different, that makes you better, that makes you stronger, not giving up, pushing yourself to the next limit. Like these people who are giving back, they just do a little bit more, just a little extra, just a little bit extra on top, just to make their day a little better. Maybe it makes them smile. By doing good sure does for me. When I do something nice for somebody, it gives me a big smile on my face. So hopefully you'll have one of those real soon too. Tonight, we're going to uh, continue our champion series, and um, the topic of discussion tonight is one mile further, how you push yourself to the next level, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really quite remarkable to see when, when people push themselves a little bit, right? They, they really get something extra out of, their, uh, out of their day. So I talk about a lot about setting goals and reaching new heights. Uh, it's something I'm very passionate about and excited to share. Uh, one thing I hear often from people is that they want to make a difference and contribute to a positive environment. So it's not just in the big scheme of things, but in little ways, such as with their health, their fitness, their community, and home life. As we continue to explore what it means to actually go the extra mile, let's take a look at, uh, at ways we can actually take action, go the distance, improve our daily lives in both small and larger ways. So when we stop making excuses, so it starts by taking number one, take responsibility. When it start, when we start by by doing that, when we start by um, seeing ourselves in a position where um, 
where we, you know, stop blaming others and start seeing the world ourselves, right? For the stuff that we're doing, uh, being responsible for the things that we that we think are are important, and making sure that we're in charge of the process, right? So stop making excuses why we don't accomplish things. Finally, take advantage of all kinds of opportunities that they just lie waiting for us, right? If you did the research for the job interview because your internet wasn't down, well, the odds are pretty good there wasn't, a, you know, that you're, there was a friend's house or a library or something you could do, right? So not making excuses for why things don't work out, but really concentrating on what you can do to make things work out, to actually get that, go that extra mile. We never truly fool ourselves when we keep blaming extra external forces, extra things out there um, when they don't work out. Deep down, we know that despite trying to convince ourselves that the world is against us, the hard truth is often it's our lack of effort and commitment that keeps us from going that extra mile, right? So life can be tough, but when you're in it together, as we say, it, it makes it a lot easier. So taking responsibility is a big part of pushing yourself to the next level. Having gratitude is the next one, number two. You know, we talk about the phrase first world problems. It's a great reminder of just how much we have to be grateful for. When we put into perspective some of the seemingly annoying challenges that we face in society, especially in Western society, you know, not having a car available, you know, not being able to get a ride to work or, or, or just having issues, you know, people say they're first world problems. But you know what? It's nice to be thankful for what we have, but you don't want to diminish the things that are important to you, too. And you don't have to be living in a country where the world is, where, where people are, are, are desolate and living in the streets to feel challenges. But getting beyond those challenges starts by going the extra mile, knowing that every day you appreciate what you have and how amazing your life really is, right? Taking, taking advantage of what you've got, being you know, grateful for what you have and use that as a, as a, as a, a jumping off point, as a springboard, if you will, right? To how you can make your life great, how you can be a champion. The third, the third thing we need to learn about in this process is taking care of your mind and body. We often talk about this on this show. You know, part of recovery, part of doing well and having good mental health has a lot to do with, you know, how you, what you eat, how you sleep, the kind of workouts you have. So, you know, nutrition, fitness um, is a big part of it. Sleep is a big part of it. Uh, you kind of need to have those all in place. So taking care of mind and body, I recommend mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. So mindfulness is being able to live in the moment. So being able to go the extra mile means living in today and stretching yourself today. You'll stretch yourself tomorrow when you get there. And then the cognitive behavioral therapy piece, CBT as we call it, the cognitive behavioral therapy piece, that's pretty simple. That's a glass half full, glass half empty scenario, right? Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Depends on how you want to look at it. But if you take care of your mind and body and you keep yourself in the zone, as they say, you know, you talk about athletes or always find themselves in the zone. When you can find that zone that leads you to greatness, but keeping it all together, mind, body, fitness, all of it, got to keep it all together, got to eat properly, all of that kind of stuff. Living in the moment, seeing the sunshine and the dark clouds, that kind of stuff that helps us continue to be great, that helps us continue to be at our best. The fourth key point here that we talk about in terms of stretching yourself and, and, and going the extra mile, make your home an oasis, a safe place, right? Everyone deserves a happy, safe, comfortable place to live. Everyone does. Not everyone's that fortunate. But if yours isn't, if you're not in that happy place, you're not in a safe place, then figure out why. And then roll up your sleeves and get to work on it. Make it better. Maybe it's not just you, it's someone else. You got to bring them into the fold too, right? You got to make them part of the solution. Going that extra mile, taking the time it, it's required to engage with people to make things better. It's effort. Going the extra mile means using the time and energy and putting forth the effort to be the greatest you of all time, to be a guyote. It means remembering where you are and making a place for yourself to live in that, in, in that whether it's outside of your home or in your home, places where you work, you know, places where you where you live, making it a better place for you. Simple things like doing repairs around the house, you know, touching up your, your home, maybe moving some furniture around, just make it a little better for you, a little more comfy for you, a little safer for you, a little more of what you need to get through each day. And then you got to get involved in other things, right? It's very important to get involved in, in other things in life, to stretch yourself beyond just you, to make a difference in other people's lives. You know, Gandhi once said it, uh, the famous uh, saying, we must, uh, we, uh, we must be the change we want to see in the world. You have to be able to put forth the effort and put in the work 
to make a difference and help people in your life, to make a difference, to step up and do the right thing and do something for someone else because you want to, not because necessarily it makes you feel good. That's a, that's a bonus, right? We get that bonus when we do something nice for others. It's a buzz that you can't imagine if you haven't had it before. It's a wonderful feeling making somebody's day a little bit better. As simple as opening the door for someone, helping someone across the street, the old school stuff, right? Quote, unquote, helping the old lady across the street or the senior across the street, what we used to say when we were kids, right? Doing that little extra, helping your community, sharing, maybe giving some time to a, to a food bank or to a, to a, a service that could use a little, a little of your time, your skills, your, your money, if you have it. Sharing, you know, your, your financial success with others is also a, a great way to, to feel good and make a difference in the world as long as it's properly, properly placed, right? As long as you're investing in something that you believe in and it makes, it makes a difference in not just the lives of the people directly attached to you, but those around you. Going the extra mile means to volunteer, means to give of yourself to others. Going the extra mile means doing a little bit more. You know, if you're around the house and, you know, you're in a, you're in a, 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 a situation where you have a partner, you're raising children, you know, maybe it's your partner's job typically to get the kids ready for school, so to speak. Going a little extra, maybe getting up a little earlier in the morning and getting ahead of that, maybe getting the lunches made. We're having a nice breakfast on the table when everybody wakes up. Yeah, you got to get out of bed maybe a half an hour earlier, but that's what this is about. It's about a few sacrifices, not a lot of them, just a few of them. And when you start making a little sacrifice here or there and people go, oh, wow, thanks, dad, or thanks, mom, what a great breakfast. It makes you, should make you feel good. It should help motivate you to continue to do more. And when we think of the world as everyone else's problem, we're not doing our best. We're not at our best. We're not stretching ourselves to do what we need to do to make this world a better place. So how do you do one more? How do you take that extra step just by looking at yourself in the mirror and go, today, I'm going to do a little extra. Today, I'm going to stretch myself a little bit. Maybe it's in your workout, right? Something as simple as your workout. Instead of jogging for 15 minutes, jog for 20. And maybe a week from now, 25. And a couple of months from now, maybe up to an hour. Stretching yourself in what you do. It has a lot to do with keeping your head on in a positive way and keeping yourself focused on goodness. When you do good, I believe good comes back to you. I was reading an article not long ago, and um, it really hit me. And uh, that's why we're going to have uh, these guests on with us this evening uh, for a couple of segments to talk about this story. It was a Friday morning. His name is Neam Jain. Uh, he's 20. He looked closely at one of the dozen paintings hanging in his Scarborough art studio and casually made nicks here and there with a fingernail. Happy, said the Toronto artist when he was asked how he feels about painting. The oil on canvas work are multi-layered, colorful, rich, and with artistic complexities. Many reside with private collectors in Canada, the U.S., U.K., and Australia. They are expressions of his emotions. Jane lives with autism spectrum disorder, ACD, and uh, apraxia. He is largely nonverbal with limited functional speech and a delayed response in his communication. He loves to go to the mall, his mother says, Nina. He likes to go out for dinner. He likes to travel. He plays squash. He loves golf, swims, loves to snorkel, and he plays badminton. Have a listen to him singing a song here. And uh, he sings Love Me Do. And I just want you all to hear this and hear the, the beauty in his voice. La la me too. Lena, I love you. Oh, mercy too. So please. La me too. So you can hear how much love and excitement is in his voice. So let me tell you a story. These fa this family belonged to a, belongs to a place called the Granite Club in Toronto in North York, Ontario. Uh, they just won a Human Rights Tribunal Award of $35,000 as compensation for the damage. What basically happened is that this young man uh, was, uh, he was, uh, Neam is his name. He went to the club. His mother was there. He went into the locker room. He goes to a specific bench near a specific locker. When he was there, there was a bag on the bench. He looked at the bag, was looking in the bag. It was unusual to him. Someone came into the, to the locker room. It was this man's bag. 
right? And he wasn't really sure what was going on. But the member, his name is Andrew Gage. We like to name the bad guy. This is someone not at their best, whose bag it was, kept repeatedly asking what Jane was doing, and Jane didn't respond. Gage testified he was rattled and concerned, so he kept raising his voice. He said that he's seen Jane in the locker room before, but it was obvious that the boys had, boy had issues. They began and he began with anger, raised his voice as by an adult, uh, because there was a voice raised a voice by an adult. The young man, uh, in, uh, Jane, the young boy, um, Neam, he engaged in avoidant behavior, which is the right thing to do. Him being at his best, uh, he continued his routine. He got undressed, headed for the shower. As this guy Gage was still yelling and screaming, uh, Jane uh, did what he needed to do: rubs his fingers back and forth, his stomach at his waist region. This decision made it helps made some noises in his throat. These were these are tools that he used to manage the aggression and the oppression that he was feeling. He, the Gage, this guy, thought that this kid was fondling himself. Uh, but he actually didn't touch his penis area at all. He was just rubbing his belly. And uh, anyway, then Jane walked over to the shower. This continued to go. The the, 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 the This guy, Gage, wanted something in place. The, the club wanted to have this kid uh, um, uh, shadowed. They wanted to put things in place. Anyway, soon after the incident, a club staff member presented Jane's parents with a fait accompli. Jane would need to have a male attendant uh, to use the men's room or be supervised in a barrier-free change room, um, all of which was not what this kid was used to doing. He did what he did, and he lived the way he lived, and this would have been a complete um, disaster for him, I think, as a therapist. Um, anyway, there should have been a lot more compassion. This guy, Gage, should have realized that this kid was uh, dealing with some struggles and uh, certainly not handling himself at his best for sure. My guest this evening is Nina Jane and Rohan Jane, the mother and brother of Neam Jane. Uh, thank you both for being here this evening. Um, I know it's late and really appreciate you sticking around. Thanks. Thank you for having us on air. Thank you so much. A pleasure, a pleasure. So interestingly enough, um, I'm not really a private club kind of guy for a whole host of reasons. Uh, I've tried it before, by the way. Didn't have a great experience. Uh, I used to belong to the Thornhill Club for a reason for a while. Anyway, for another story, it didn't. It wasn't a great experience for me. Um, you you continue to be members there, right? Yes. Can I ask you? Yeah, I'm, Neam likes there. You know, he likes the classes. He likes badminton. He likes swimming. And everything is in one location. And, you know, he really enjoys, you know, going from sport to sport. Um, it's easy for him. And uh, for the most part, it is a safe environment. And, um, you know, and he he's happy. Amazing, eh? In, in spite of all of this, um, he sees the simpler parts of life, and perhaps we, you as his parents, and me as a an adult looking from the outside in, an advocate for others, um, you know, we're probably more shocked and rattled by it than he was, right? We are definitely more shocked and rattled. I mean, he was he had a lot of anxiety, you know, like he he was he was actually very traumatized over it as well. However. Neam, um, you know, he sees the good in everything and he's forgiving and he moves on. Uh, Rohan, uh, you're the brother of uh, Neam. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, we're going to get to the two of you uh, later on here and probably the second segment, talk about the Able to Learn uh, uh, business or Able to Learn Inc., uh, the charity that you guys have put together. But as a brother of, of, a, of, a, of a sibling, who has struggles like this or perhaps little challenges like this um, as, as a brother, did you find it more difficult growing up together or did you always have like a tighter bond because he needed you perhaps a little bit more Rohan? Yeah. Um, I think that is something uh, that people often, often assume, but, but I, but my experience with Neam is that, you know, he is, he's really loving. He's, he's very caring. You know, I can still play sports with him and, yeah. and, 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 uh, and we go to the movies, we play squash, we play badminton, we go swimming, uh, and, uh, and we basically do everything together. So, um, you know, the only thing that I see about Neam is that he's, he's a little bit different from me, but, but that's okay because at the end of the day, he's my brother, and uh, and uh, and yeah, that is that is our our relationship. 
That's amazing. No boundaries, right? You don't see what the, perhaps other people from the outside see. And I think that's a remarkable sign of, of love and, and commitment to one another. And you know what? Um, you know, we're all different, right? Every one of us is different in, in a different way. We, um, before we go to break here, I just want to uh, sort of get to something, um, mom, uh, quickly. You know, as I read the story, I see that, that, uh, Neam did exactly what someone should do in his situation with the, using his skills, his strategies. Um, he must be very proud of how he handled himself I, in that circumstance. I am. You know, I would tell my older son, um, I would tell any viewer who's listening, um, if you find yourself in a hostile situation, the best thing to do is, you know, to avoid, to walk away. Um, and not to engage, because that can always land you into, you know, it can escalate the situation. And I think what he did was the right reaction was to, you know, engage in avoidance behavior. I have two guests with me, Nina Jane, uh, Jane and Rohan Jane. They are the mother and brother, respectively, of Neam Jane, who received some um, not so good behavior when they were at the Granite Club. He's a young man that uh, has autism. He's on the autism spectrum and uh, has uh, apraxia. He's got some challenges, but uh, manages, manages to do really quite well uh, from what I understand. He's an artist. He, uh, he's a loving uh, member of his family. Uh, listen to what the family, uh, what, what Esther Reed, the National Director of Autism Speaks Canada, says will have the choice of how to choose to deal with autism and how Neam's family has chosen to celebrate it and encourage it, uh, encourage him. Have a listen. We all have a choice in terms of how we choose to look at what inclusion looks like and what potential looks like. And Neam and his family have really taken this opportunity to celebrate what autism looks like. Yeah, it's a great clip. So, you know, these are, these are folks that not only are dealing with their own family stuff, but helping other families, probably thousands of people through their actions. And uh, they have an organization called Able to Learn. We're going to get to that in just a second. Niam and Rohan, thank you for sticking with us and welcome back to the show. Um, you know, is this a, the situation that happened at the Granite Club where uh, this uh, elder, uh, this uh, adult uh, kind of uh, snapped at Liam, at, at Niam because he wasn't um, um, doing, you know, what he thought was the right thing and, you know, didn't realize that he had a specific go-to place that made him comfortable. Have you anything like this ever happened before or since to you or your family? No, I mean, not uh, particularly in the locker room, but, you know, Neam has stems, you know, he um, has outward indicators of autism and, yeah. you know, when, when someone sees him and, you know, he might be wringing his fingers or rocking back and forth or, you know, if he's having extreme anxiety, you know, he gets pressure in his jaw and he puts his finger in his mouth and he presses down and he may, might make sounds. And that may seem unusual to somebody, but that's his, um, you know, way of self-soothing himself, of, of regulating himself. And, um, you know, um, so, you know, this kind of behavior can present itself because it's a part of him. It's a part of his autism. I get it. Um, <clears throat> do you believe that the folks at the Granite Club are actually remorseful uh, for their uh, original decision on how they were going to solve the, the issue now that the human rights folks have spoken and uh, there are proper things in place there to, to provide a comfortable environment for your son to, to participate in the locker room and so on? Um, do you feel like you're still part of a club where they actually care now and understand and perhaps this experience might open the eyes for others. Was there some good that came out of this or are they just kind of keeping you happy? Um, you know, it's, it's too early to answer that question. Um, you know, for us, we have to go back because as a family, I mean, we're not talking about Neam now, but I think personally, Rohan and I um, would say that when discrimination happens and you feel, if you're a person that has felt discrimination, we feel that we have to go back so that we can create those changes to create those awarenesses. It's not just about winning the HRTO. It's about, you know, really educating people around, um, you know, why we won and, and what changes, you know, uh, and thinking and cultural changes and education and everything that comes with, um, you know, creating that acceptance and awareness. 
Do you hear from just, anybody else? Go ahead, Rohan. Go ahead. And just, just something else I noticed is that also when you when you go back, it also sends a message to others who may not be as 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 receptive or not as friendly that 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 you're always willing to uh, to stand in for for what is right and to and to always uh, take a stand against against discrimination. I think that is something that is really important today. And yeah, this guy think, gave, go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Nina. We also think that conversation and education is, you know, you know, is what's going to bring, you know, exactly what you're doing is, is talking about this topic. So this guy Gage, the, the, the elder, the, the adult that was involved, um, yeah. you know, clearly not a guy at his best. Um, to this day, have you received any kind of apology or any kind of, you know, uh, hey, I wish I, this would have gone different, like any kind of remorse, remorsefulness from him and or anyone else, frankly, any other members uh, come up and kind of you know support you in this process? Um, well, we have heard, we have had a, quite a bit of support from members. Um, I've, I've had people stop me. Um, I've had email, um, you know, people are, I, I've met some very nice and supportive um, people at the members at the club. I mean, I, I don't think many people knew that this was happening. So um, what do you think are the common, most common misconceptions or, or stigmas that you believe we can we can rectify through some of the work that you're doing uh, and through sharing this story on air to the tens of thousands of people that are listening and the thousands that will see it hear it again on a podcast. You know what what can we what can we tell people about um, about what we see and if what we see isn't exactly what we're used to to not quickly jump you know jump to judgment. What's the message you could pass on? Well, personally, I, I think. That the, that the the biggest thing we have to look at is really acceptance and diversity. I feel that we we as a society like to talk about being diverse and open, but when it comes to practice, uh, society often likes to fall short, and they like to constrain people into into small little boxes and as what they consider normal. So I think that um, that. You know that people actually being open and, and accepting that you know being different is okay you don't have to fit within a single box uh being diverse being being different than someone else uh doesn't change who you are as a person it just may mean you approach situations differently but but that's all it does there's an organization that the two of you are involved in that uh, Rohan, I think, is uh, heavily involved in. It's uh, called Able to Learn. Can you tell us a little bit about? I mean, it, it's you know been. I, I can share a little bit that uh, uh, that both her and Ro, Nina and Rohan research and create over 100 and 1,100 evidence-based lesson plans, uh, approximately 40,000 pages, 100 videos for students with disabilities, and have over 25,000 professionals at as customers using our lessons around the world. Um, tell us about that program and um, kind of how you got going with it. Well, I started um, creating uh, and started researching actually in coffee shops uh, while I was waiting for Neam to um, do ABA services, speech therapy. I mean, you go back yeah. 18 years, nothing yeah. was in one location. You know, I would go to Markham for something, Etobicoke for something else. And all day long I was in the car and then I would yeah. be waiting. So, you know, with the, the great thing about technology is you can just get into research papers. And so it actually started like that. And all the work is evidence-based. Um, we uh, created visuals and pictures and we created actual, you know, social skills, uh, life skill books. Um, our puberty book is maybe is the most popular um, having maybe almost 60,000 downloads. And we've grown to 70,000 um, professionals. And I'm, if I'm correct, I would say we have an outreach of maybe, you know, 800,000 plus students around the world. And 
it's a big savings for parents. Um, and but the biggest user users are actually teachers. And which was surprising for us. Um, so our work is actually used in the public school system in Toronto, but um, all around the world and in countries that are not the first language. So I'm assuming they're translating it, but it just really shows the need um, of, you know, of a, an education that is that it presented in a way that uh, someone with autism or someone who's neurodiverse can understand it. Well, if you're uh, first of all, I really appreciate you guys being here with me tonight and and sharing you know your thoughts. Uh, I'd like to uh, follow your son's progress. If you can come back and talk to us some other time, that would be great. Um, I'm talking to Nina and Rohan Jane. They are the mother and brother of Neam Jane and uh, wonderful young men with what looks like a fabulous future. So thank you so much for joining us, um, and uh, we wish you all the greatest success. Mm -hmm.